Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, The Ultimate Guide to Creating and Managing a Sales Playbook, where we provide a step-by-step model for building and managing your sales playbook. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod358. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am so excited to speak with today's guest. I have to tell you, listeners, that as soon as I got off the phone with her from our pre-call, I immediately used the tool that um, that her company provides. So not a paid advertisement or anything like that, but it was pretty funny how it solved a problem. So <laughs> she's the CEO and co-founder of Scribe, which unleashes know-how across teams, organizations, and communities. She built her career starting off at McKinsey and Company, and since then has extensive experience in business analysis, strategic consulting, um, business development, startups, all kinds of different things. And she is based in lovely San Francisco, California. So welcome to the show, Jennifer Smith. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am just so glad that you could join me on the show. Before we really get into our conversation, I always like to give the guest a chance to introduce yourself a little bit more than just the bullets that I shared. Sure. So, um, so I started my career as a consultant, you know, 21 years old, fresh out of school, don't know anything about the world. And I said, where are there, uh, kind of the, the smartest, most curious people that I've met? Um, and, uh, you know, McKenzie came in and recruited on campus and I said, those people seem very smart and, and actually very curious about the world. And that seems kind of like my tribe of people. I want to go learn from them. And I ended up spending seven years there. Um, and I worked mostly in our organization and operations practices, which, Functionally mm-hmm. met, I went into uh, customer contact centers. Um, so imagine big rooms full of lots of people typing on computers and, and on the phone with customers. And my job was to figure out how to make them better. Um, and <laughs> if you ever do that work as a consultant, you learn the name of the game is you figure out who the best people in that contact center are. And you go and sit next to them and you say, you know, hey, Jamie, what are you doing differently than everyone else? And, you know, Jamie would would tell me, right? He'd I'd mm-hmm. date myself. Now he'd, he'd pull out a really thick binder and he'd dunk it down on the desk. And he'd say like, this is all the stuff I was trained to do, right? It took me two weeks to really memorize all of these processes. But, you know, I found like these 30 better ways in my time here. And my team yep. would write that up in PowerPoint and we'd sell that back to our clients for a whole bunch of money. And the idea would be now everyone can do things the way Jamie was doing them and be better, right? And I always thought at the time, like, gosh, if Jamie or whomever had had a way to share what they knew how to do, they could have had really big impact on that ops center, right? They didn't they didn't need like 27-year-old Jennifer with her Lenovo ThinkPad running around. Um, and, and I kind of like filed that away in my head and said, well, this seems pretty obvious. Like someone will solve that someday for sure, right? Definitely. And then you fast forward, uh, you know, a decade later, and I'm uh, here in Silicon Valley, and, and I'm working on Sand Hill um, at a venture capital firm on the enterprise software side. And um, I spent a lot of my time there talking to buyers of enterprise software. So we talk a lot in Silicon Valley and in software in particular about what it means to sell software. And I got really curious, well, what, what's it like on the other side? There are two sides yeah. of the transaction. What's it like to buy software? Why do people buy? And so I talked to over 1,200 buyers um, at, you know, Fortune 1000 companies and just asked them, you know, what, what problems are you looking to solve? Where are you seeing gaps in the market? What, what have you decided to buy recently? What do you wish existed? What do you have budget for? Really just trying to understand sort of 
at their reality day to day of what they're trying to do in their business and, and how they saw software and the, the tech stack fitting in. And we can talk a lot more about what I heard from them. But one of the key themes was this idea of, gosh, I have all of these people. They're my, my biggest investment. Usually that's my biggest resource as a company. And they all show up nine to five and they add a bunch of value. And then they they walk out the door, you know, they leave in the elevator at 5 p.m. And I got hope they come back the next day. And, and they have all this really valuable insight about how they do their job, right? About how my business functions. And I have no way of getting at that right now, right? What do I do? Mm-hmm. I tell someone like, take time away from your job and just write down what you know how to do. That's, that's not a very popular request, right? Because that takes a bunch of time. And, and maybe they hire, you know, some version of 27-year-old Jennifer with her Lenovo ThinkPad to, to like, you know, shadow people and create it for them. And so to me, that was kind of this big aha moment, which is, gosh, it's been over a decade and no one has solved this problem yet. Mm-hmm. But, but technology's evolved. Like we have the ability to solve this problem now. What if we could watch people, experts, do work and automatically capture what they know how to do? What if we made documentation like digital exhaust, just the byproduct of people doing their normal jobs? What if we could make it much easier for anyone to use software or to teach someone else how to do software, right? Whether I'm onboarding a new employee and trying to, you know, improve their ramp time or whether I'm trying to explain to a customer how to use our product. And so that was the the whole idea and, and kind of nexus behind Scribe. And I guess, as they say, the, the rest is history. I just got really passionate and excited about this problem. To me, it felt like kind of this problem hiding in plain sight that mm-hmm. everyone assumed was the way of doing business today, right? And, um, and I said, well, you know, if we could change that, what a huge unlock for the world where now, you know, everyone is having access to the best of what everyone else knows how to do. No one's spending any more time writing out step-by-step guides on, on how to do something. Like, okay, multiply that across the billion knowledge workers in the world. And like, and that's, that's a, you know, a step change for humanity. So it might sound a little cheesy, but those are the kinds of things that get me really fired up. Oh, I, I completely understand. And I can really hear it in your voice. And certainly I think many of us have been in a position where we noticed a problem, we noticed a need and assumed that at some point it would get filled. And then you look up and it's 10 years later, five years later, whenever, and you're like, wow, nobody's filled that. Um, To be the one who starts the company to to fill that need, that's got to be very satisfying. And I just have to tell my story because it was really funny. We had 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 our pre-call and I had been procrastinating all day. I did a training for a client on how to leverage LinkedIn in specific ways for prospecting. And they, you know, rave reviews, they were, everybody was fine. And then the next day I heard from someone on the team, oh, I tried to do that thing that we talked about in the training, but I think I I did something wrong. I didn't get the result I was expecting. Can you send me a guide? I was like, oh my goodness. So I'm going to take the time because I have developed guides for this three different times. Yes. Well, and the thing is LinkedIn changes their user interface all the time. And so I have a guide that doesn't look like LinkedIn looks like right now. Right. And I'm like, so I got to right. replace all those screenshots and move my arrows. Or, and it just, it, it was a nightmare. And so I procrastinated and I didn't do it. And then I talked to you and you talked about Scribe and I was like, oh my goodness. And I opened Scribe and immediately just did the thing and it documented it as I went. And I added, like edited just a couple of things and boom, had a resource that I could send. So thank you for enabling my procrastination and <laughs> allowing me to put that together easily. And I think of how many leaders, managers, outside consultants, 
teachers, um, individual employees and companies, like you said, you know, the equivalent of a Jamie who get asked over and over and over again, can you show me how to do that? Can you send it to me? And maybe they put together a Word document or a PowerPoint after the 10th time they got asked, but mm -hmm. they, it was a terrible experience. And like me, you know, maybe the screenshots that they embedded are out of date, look a little bit wrong. And the, the platform actually that we are recording on right now, they changed their user interface. I was on staycation last week. I came back and I'm recording five podcasts this week. And I looked at it this morning and I was like, what does it look like? And I went to their help menu and all the screenshots are their old user interface, not the new one. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is a constant problem of documentation. And so to make it easy, again, it sounds like a commercial, but uh, it's just, it's, it's such a common problem and concern. So it's, it's really exciting and must be fun for you to be in a place of solving that problem for people. Yeah. I, I love that came to that scribe came to you. It, it sounds like, you know, exactly the, the right time. I mean, I think, I think we can all relate to that feeling because everyone gets this question from a coworker or a customer. Hey, can you, I know we talked about this. Hey, can you quickly show me how do I do this thing again? Or, um, can you, can you like send me some instructions on how to do that? And you know, that maybe shows up, sounds like you're very kind and we'll write out a step-by-step -step guide with screenshots for people, but that, that takes time, right? That could take anywhere from 30 to 90 minutes, depending on how long of a guide you're doing. A lot of times people will just, you know, say, oh, hey, let's hop on a quick zoom or I'll lean over my shoulder and, and quickly show you how to do something. But that time really adds up. Um, mm -hmm. McKinsey, of course, I have to cite a McKinsey study, but it's actually a, a good one. Um, McKinsey looked at this and said that the average knowledge worker spends 20% of their time mm -hmm. sharing or trying to track down info they need on how to do their job. That's mm -hmm. a day a week. So what we're talking about is kind of what feels like a nuisance, you know, oh, I got to take time to, to do this thing is actually a huge time suck. Um, and I would argue it's like it's the worst kind because you've already done like you already did the hard part. You knew how to do that thing for that client, right? That's the expertise. That's your special Elizabeth contribution. Writing that out in some step-by-step -step guide or communicating it to someone, like that that's not your special contribution. That part should just be done by software. It should just, it should just you know, be quickly and easily done and, and kind of go away. And you should be able to spend your time figuring out how to do these hard things because that's, that's what's unique. That's what's valuable. Absolutely. And it, like you said, it's so tempting to just be like, oh, let's quickly jump on Zoom. And you do that with your coworkers, with clients, with other people. But that's a one-time situation. You could get that same question from that same person mm -hmm. in a month. Right. Especially, and, and you probably will. <laughs> yeah. Especially what we often see, um, processes that one doesn't need to do very often, right? The how to do the monthly report, how to, you know, update mm -hmm. the quarterly XYZ thing, you do it monthly or quarterly, not every day. And so you forget. And um, it's, it can be very annoying to be the one who always gets asked that I have so many clients with sales teams. And you have just one person on the sales team, who's a little more techie than the rest mm -hmm. of the group. And so they get better at using the CRM. They figure out how to leverage different lead gen and, you know, data sources and how to, you know, set up nurture campaigns and all kinds of other things. And they're then the resource, not just for their peers, but for their manager a lot of the time of how do we use this tool that we're paying for everybody to have, but you're the only one using it. 
That's so true. We call that internally. We we, we joke and call that that person Cheryl, just because we had an, an early customer who who had um, a, a woman named Cheryl on her team, and we talked to you know a bunch of people, the customer, and they'd all be like, "Oh, Cheryl's the person I go to whenever I have these kinds of questions, right?" And everyone just kept mentioning Cheryl, and so what we find is this is often true for most teams where you've got a couple people, and and maybe it could be more, and they're different people for different kinds of topics, right? But that's like the go to person that that everyone you know asks questions of. And usually it's your most tenured, most experienced, maybe best person on the team, right? And now they're spending a whole bunch of their time on this kind of like one-off answering questions, showing people how to do things. And so what if you could make Cheryl, whomever that person is for you, what if you could turn Cheryl into something scalable? Like what if Cheryl became like media or software, not something that she could share one off, but like, what if you could download what was in her brain and now make it infinitely scalable and available to everyone? Absolutely. That's what we're, that's what we get excited about. Cause sometimes Cheryl wants to go on vacation. Right. Eventually let's, Cheryl might want to retire. Cheryl have a vacation. Yes. <laughs> and Cheryl eventually retires. I can't tell you how many customers I talk to. And they'll be like, oh my gosh, my Cheryl, you know, is yep. is retiring in six months. And we're all very panicked. And we're trying to ask Cheryl to make sure she documents everything before she leaves. But, you know, Cheryl doesn't really like that request because she's still trying to do her job. And now she's got to like take a bunch of time and write documentation. Um so uh, I, absolutely, you're, um, you're preaching to the choir. Absolutely. So we could, we could obviously spend a lot of time talking specifically about this, but this really fits into the context of what I'd like to spend really the rest of our, our conversation focused on, which is you've talked to a lot of business leaders. <laughs> you're, you're still doing that today. And I'd love to hear what are some of the, the challenges that leaders are facing now. And they could be challenges that you're currently solving with Scribe, or they could be challenges that have nothing to do with what you're currently doing. But I'd just love to hear what what are you seeing people kind of focused on that um, that's going to be probably a bigger part of everybody's life in the coming weeks and months and years. Yeah. So I'll, I'll come at it probably just, you know, living here, I live and breathe SaaS and software. So I'll probably come at it from a bit of a, a software perspective. Um, but what I hear folks say time and time again, and there are studies that back this up, is there's more and more software. Like tech stacks are becoming more and more complicated at mm-hmm. any kind of business. Doesn't doesn't matter what it is, right? Um, the like the average number. If you look at a graph of the um, the average number of software deployments in a given company, it's in the last ten years. It's like kind of like a, it looks relatively flat for the twenty years before that, right? And then all of a sudden, it really starts spiking up quite a bit. And that's just going to continue to become true because now it's even cheaper and cheaper to create new software, right? So you have more and more better solutions. And what I hear from buyers all the time is, hey, we've we've moved from like bundling everything together and having sort of one throat to choke for one vendor <laughs> to now there's this real push on the, the purchasing and procurement side to really get best in class. And so what that means is now I've got a bunch of different, this is the the negative version of it, point solutions, right? That are really great at this thing they do, but now I have to have many, many, many of them. Mm-hmm. And so buyers are saying like, this is good because I'm now giving, if I'm a CIO or something, I'm now making sure that like the best of everything that's out there is available to my employees so they, they can show up to work and, and be empowered to use it. But now it's creating all of these challenges on the other side, right? Which it, one is, um, how do I onboard new people, especially in now a remote world 
um, or, or a hybrid world, because a lot of companies are, a lot of our customers are, um, where there isn't that person sitting next to them who can just show them, hey, here's how we do things here. How's, here's how we use this software. And it's becoming more and more complicated, our process. They're becoming more complicated. They're changing more often. Software UIs are changing, as, as you noted. Um, and so how do we how do we help make sure people get the answers and information that they need at the right time when they're first getting started and kind of an ongoing basis. And then I think there's a kind of a almost paradoxical productivity drag that comes from all of this, Hmm. which is we've purchased all of this software. And it's a little funny because I I would say I run a productivity company. So, um, you know, you might be surprised to hear me say this as a, a productivity CEO, but we almost have too much productivity software mm-hmm. in that um, now the the marginal cost of communicating with each other has gone down to nearly zero. Like yes. you said, if you've got a question, I can just shoot you a Zoom meeting. And if we're in Slack together, I literally do like backslash Zoom and boom, it pops it on your computer. And within 10 seconds, we can both be on a Zoom meeting, right? And there's, there's a bunch of different tools that have done this that have taken the barrier to communicate, whether with teammates or customers or never down to nearly zero, which is wonderful. But what that means is we are now spending so much of our time communicating and collaborating with each other. And this got so much worse during COVID. And and we've seen the effects continue to persist, even as folks have gone back to the office or, or been in a hybrid world, where now you can end your day and say, gosh, I had a really busy day. But actually, you just had a high collaboration day. Right. Mm-hmm. You spend a lot of your time in Zooms, answering emails, answering Slacks, et cetera, but not actually doing the core of the the work that you're doing, right? In in sales, it's it's like having customer conversations. But you know, oh, maybe I spent a bunch of time in my sales team meetings and like updating my sales force and, and all these other sorts of things. And so I talk a lot about sort of collaboration overload and this idea that we actually might spend too much time talking to each other and using software because it's now so easy. And instead, how do we go from the one-off to the scalable? I'm all about the scalable, right? Because that's way more efficient. So rather than sending like, you know, the, the quick Slack message back or something, like how do I create, you know, in customer follow-up, for example, how do I create templates that now it's like, this is the standard way that I follow up after a call and I can always customize, but now this is a scalable rather than, than a one-off piece. Um, and so that that's something that I heard a lot about from leaders before the pandemic was, you know, this idea of productivity, but, but now during and after the pandemic, if, can we say after the pandemic? I'm not sure. Maybe we're still during, I'm being wishful thinking. It's continuing. Yeah. At the current stage of the pandemic. At the current stage of the pandemic. Maybe someday we'll stop saying that. Um, you know, is is still very true. And uh, especially as companies are now, you know, um, depending on the industry that you're in and, and, and sort of where you're at, like facing an even more of a productivity imperative, um, perhaps because they've had to freeze hiring or have more of a focus on a bottom line. Mm. It becomes even more now about how do I help my people get the info they need, get the answers they need to be able to spend as much time on task doing really high value activities and make the rest, um, you know, almost sort of go away. Like how do I scale the core competency and and kind of pull away the the rest of all of the filler busy work time? Definitely. Um, And I see that trend, as you said, it's, it's coming from multiple directions. It's being kind of pushed. You see a lot of organizations implementing productivity software that's Mm -hmm. monitoring their employees and 
if you, for example, are looking at your computer screen and writing notes on a piece of paper beside you, you might not be, uh, you know, seen as being productive because you're not moving your mouse or, or typing on your keyboard. And there, there's a real push to actually measure productivity, not just for jobs that have always kind of measured it, you know, in a call center, how many calls did you take? What was the disposition mm -hmm. of the calls? Um, how many, you know, people gave you a positive score? All of that, people are used to being tracked, but now you have workers at, at jobs that never had tracking like this before, um, really seeing this kind of productivity tracked. And so there's there's pressure on employees to look productive. And obviously people want to be good at their jobs. They want to be productive, but they also want to be productive in ways that are obviously looking productive, if that makes sense. Um, and then you're also seeing from leadership, and this is across so many organizations, like you said, there might be a hiring freeze. There might be a, um, you know, sometimes even downsizing. There may be higher goals that people will have. And there, there comes a point at which you're thinking, you know, how can I get more out of my current team? And leaders are often really struggling to, to figure that out. And that's why they're implementing things like tracking every move their employees make. But that doesn't always drive the high value activities that you're really looking for as the leader. Oh, absolutely. You know, somebody's wiggling their mouse all day doesn't mean they're doing a really good job. And you can have really high value activities that are hard to measure. And so it's, it's almost like leaders have different areas of focus over time. And usually there's a KPI that you can associate with it. And productivity is a little harder. <laughs> and so everybody's thinking, I need to improve productivity. The only thing I can do is measure, you know, how much time people seem to be spending on their computers, but that's not necessarily getting it. So there's the actual productivity and then there's the perceived. I don't know if there's even a question there, but that's definitely a trend that I'm noticing. Oh, absolutely. And, I, and I'm of, of two minds on this and, and I'll explain both of them. So, so one of them is I'm, I'm pretty anti-surveillance. And, you know, I get asked this all the time with Scribe, right? Because we're a, a desktop application or a browser extension. And when you hit that record button, we watch every step that you do so that we can auto-generate a step-by-step -step guide. But I, I naturally get asked when I'll, I'll share this with managers or leaders, you know, oh, can you, can you tell me if my employees are slacking off? And I always <laughs> say like, Absolutely not. Like this is, this is, I'm not in the big brother business. There certainly are pieces of software that will track, you know, are your employees moving their mouse and stuff like that. I, I would argue you get very little information from that and you get what you track. So if you're tracking, if someone's on at their computer all the time, then they'll be on at their computer. But to your point, does that actually drive your business? Probably not. Right. Um, and so, uh, I, I'm like pretty anti-surveillance. And when we talk about Scribe, we talk about it as active initiation, passive capture, which is someone has to raise their hand and say, I'm about to do something that I think will help other people. I want to opt into sharing this. I'm going to hit that button. And then I know that the software will do the rest. Um, the, the flip side of this, um, 
the, the, when I said I'm, I'm of two minds is we have a, a customer who did do rigorous time tracking before we ever arrived of, mm-hmm. of how their employees spend time, like literally asking them to, to track in seven minute increments. What oh. were the kinds of activities that you did? Yeah, not not a very popular program, as you can imagine. <laughs> and we, we were not part of it. it. It predated us. But it gave them some really valuable data mm-hmm. where they were then able to look at it and say, oh gosh, where is their waste? Where is their time being spent on activities that aren't actually driving whatever it is that drives our business, whatever is core to that function, the reason we hired that person, right? That's a drag on their time, doesn't actually contribute out, but probably the activities they don't enjoy either, right? And what they interestingly found was that depending on the department, uh, employees were spending nine to 15% of their time just asking each other how to do things mm-hmm. <laughs> and answering those questions. So like hopping on the Zooms, hey, can you show me how to, to your example, like how to generate this quarterly report? Um, hey, can you show me like how do I connect this software to that? The kinds of things they didn't do every day. And so, you know, selfishly for us at Scribe, that was really helpful because they said, well, can, can we use Scribe to reduce that time? And I mean, it turns out they could by over two thirds, which is an incredibly meaningful boost in kind of the average employee's week. And you aggregate that across an organization and it's obviously, you know, huge time savings. Um, and so it was nice in that they were able to quantify when you say productivity, what does that actually mean? They were able to quantify areas of opportunity where they could both make their employees you know, quote unquote, more productive, but also give them a better experience because mm-hmm. no one enjoys doing those kind of like filler activities, right? People take a job because they want to do the core function of that job, right? I take I take a sales job because I want to drive revenue and everything that I'm doing that is not talking to a customer driving <laughs> revenue, I'm sort of like, okay, I, these are the things I just have to do. I get that. I get that's part of the job, but I just kind of want to get them done quickly. So if you are able to take a data-driven approach to being able to improve the amount of time that people spend on, you know, the core sales activity that can be helpful. But like I said, I'm, I'm of two minds on it because most of the ways that it's done are like pretty surveillancey and just aren't going to get you to the right outcome. Absolutely. Um, I, like you said, you know, this is, it's a great case study <laughs> and in some organizations that is part of the culture and that that can make a lot of sense. Certainly, I love the idea that this firm was tracking to that level and then they looked for areas for improvement, not just in, mm-hmm. hey, I want to punish people for taking too many coffee breaks or something, but also, right. hey, like this is taking up a lot of time and it doesn't seem super valuable, but it's necessary. How can we get it done in a way that's that's easier and more efficient? And I think of, you know, back to, to sales, because that's that's our core focus. We see a lot of times that companies are interested in, you know, another element to their tech stack, but some ways of, of passively tracking information so that salespeople don't need to enter as much. And, mm-hmm. you know, can you can you automatically capture notes from a Zoom call so that a person doesn't need to enter notes after they do the call? Can you automatically capture call data and then they just need to enter something or even the system tracks, you know, maybe they don't need to push a button at all. And the more you can take these frustrating, slow, not fun, data entry oriented um, steps out of the process, you're not only making people's lives better, 
you're also likely significantly reducing the error rate because um, anytime an automated system is capturing what's actually happening, <laughs> they're, they're capturing what's actually happening as opposed to a person writing it down, trying to capture things, you might misremember or it might Humans be are very unreliable narrators, even even yeah. with the best of intentions. Yeah. yeah. I mean, ask me what I had for breakfast yesterday. I'm not entirely I don't remember. sure. <laughs> so it's, it's a, that's such a, such a challenge. And, and as you know, it's just that there's that desire for productivity. And I, I really love that you shared that example because it's improving productivity doesn't mean I want everybody to work harder so I can get more out of the widgets that I employ, but it is also, I want people to do what they're best at, what they find satisfaction in, what is going to allow them to grow and to pursue their passions and to do the work only they can do. I don't necessarily want them to be poor Cheryl. I don't want them to be Cheryl. <laughs> I don't want them to be distracted and, and pulled into so many different directions. Absolutely. I mean, we should celebrate the Cheryls in that they have, they're experts in something, right? Like yes. they have, they have mastered some kind of craft and that's really valuable and very hard. And, and like, I believe why people show up to work every day. I, be, I believe that, you know, employees have great intentions and they show up wanting to be great at what they do and wanting to get better at it and wanting their contributions to matter. And so if you're an employer, like I, I think your big part of your job is, you know, how do you set them up for success for that? How do you make it so they're spending as much time as possible, you know, honing their craft? Um, and if you're, you know, if you're hiring a salesperson, for example, how, how do you make sure like they're spending as much time as possible, you know, on the phone with prospects and, and selling and building relationships and doing the things that they are really great at? And how do you use software or kind of other points of leverage to kind of to take everything else away? Mm -hmm. Like they spending as much time doing that as possible. We should make everything else automatic, right? Um, whether that's taking notes, documenting what they know how to do, uh, entering leads, any opportunity you have to pull away anything else that is, you know, distracting and, and not core to their craft, you should do. And then you should really double down on how do I help them become excellent at this craft? Absolutely. You know, we even see it in a slightly different way within sales teams. You'll have expert salespeople who have been at the organization for a long time. They can have highly technical, technical, consultative conversations. They sell, you know, multi-million dollar deals. Please tell me you're not having them make cold calls. <laughs> right. And hopefully they're not writing a lot of, you know, nurture emails fresh all the time. And it's getting the best out of people. Um, a lot of times involves taking a look at all of their activities, a lot of which are, you know, showing other people, demonstrating things, but there's also just those, those low value activities. And if you can figure out a way to automate those, there's, there's so much fear, you know, AI is going to take all of our jobs. I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we'll be there, you know, anytime soon, but there are certainly parts of most people's jobs that AI could take and you can have systems and, and solutions that are able to make it easier. And that's not necessarily something to be afraid of. Instead, that's something to hopefully for most people, you can see the opportunity if the, you know, the grind work was taken off your plate. 
Yeah, I believe that, that AI, or we're really at kind of machine learning, basic automation and machine learning levels right now. Um, it's all about making us more human. Mm. It's making it so that you can spend your time doing things that are uniquely human, that are unique to you and your craft and what you're doing that maybe AI someday, right, will be able to replicate, but but not in our not not in the near future for sure. So, you know, if you're if you're in sales, building rapport with a customer, AI isn't gonna take that job from you, right? But maybe maybe it'll make it so that it'll automatically add your leads. It'll automatically generate your call notes. It'll automatically, you know, be able to to show them how to use your software. And so you can spend more of your time. You can do more calls with customers, have more touch points, right? You're leaning into the thing that you are uniquely good at, the very human elements, the, the creative, creator elements of what it is that we do. I call that generative work. The generative work is the last frontier that will go and, and we're a ways away from that. And so I think there's a very positive story. People are always like, oh, is it, is it going to come take my job? And no, it should make your job better and it should make your job more valuable. Because now you can spend even more of your time doing the really valuable, unique elements. Absolutely. Um, I have to recommend any listeners who, who want to hear a bit more about this. Um, I talked to somebody on the podcast uh, about, let's see when it was... March 2020. That was not a fun month. Um, but episode <laughs> 238 will include a link in the show notes. Anita Nielsen, we talked about how to beat the bots. And she has a whole book about that. And the idea of it's it's not that a robot will replace you. It's not like machine learning is going to you know, take your entire job. Instead, it's going to hopefully strip away the most grudging parts of it, the parts that that you can do, but you shouldn't have to do. And then you're going to be able to do the fun, interesting stuff and the stuff that, you know, I I've seen that there are platforms that try to, you know, generate interest and, and nurture as AI and they're just not there yet. And I think it'll take a long time before they can get too far. And even if they got to the point where you could do cold outreach with AI and get to the point where somebody was interested in a conversation, they still want to talk to a real person when they're having that yeah. conversation. And it's, I'm a big believer that. that and now imagine if in your day, instead of only being able to handle three customer conversations because you were doing all of the mm -hmm. outbound and all of the other stuff. Now imagine you could handle six. Yes. And, and they're set up for you. They just show up on your calendar and right. you, you have them. And it's, it's really exciting. I, I'm a big believer. This is an opportunity that, um, that people can really get excited about and leverage as opposed to um, looking at it with a position of fear. But it is also something salespeople, knowledge workers, you know, individuals, you don't always have the ability to implement these on your own. And so it's really up to leaders to be looking for, hey, are there are there new technology platforms that are replacing a function that we've done historically, you know, with people? And can we leverage those platforms? Can we can we automate some of this in order to make people's lives easier and get the most out of the people that we have so they're not doing basic data entry, basic capturing of, of certain information. And it's really amazing 
even if you have a group that's more junior, that's more, you know, they were just kind of doing data entry, they've likely learned enough through doing it as as part of their job for so long that they can move into a higher value, um, more complex role where they're leveraging what they learned through all of that really boring, awful data entry that they were doing. Yeah. And, and I, the, the like push that I would have to, to folks who, who fear like this kind of technology driven or AI driven world is like, figure out what your craft is. What, what is it that you want to be excellent at? What is it that you want to be known for, right? Is, is it is it building relationships? Is it, you know, being able to drive high volumes of deal? Like what whatever it is, it's almost like your personal brand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the thing you want to be really great at? And and like, and double down on that. And to your point, try to push your leadership or go to, you know, work environments where um, they support you in doing that and yes. try to find tools and ways that they could take away everything that is not that off of your plate. Yep. Yep. And it's, it's leaders can't stay on top of everything. So certainly um, if you're a top performer, if you're somebody who's really into finding new solutions, don't keep that to yourself. And if, if you're consistently bringing ideas to leadership and they're not taking them, that can be a sign that this is maybe not the organization for you long term, and you might want to find a place that um, that is more open to, you know, making your life easier. Because it's what what happens if you cling to the old way of doing things for too long. At some point, you wake up and everybody else has changed, and you're suddenly obsolete. As opposed to just you know, you don't have to be like the first person. You don't have to be the first organization at the very leading edge of change, but you at least need to keep up. And um, that's that's going to be one of the most important factors, I think, for attracting and retaining top talent is the ability to provide a work environment and a work day where they know that you value them for what they want to be valued for, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And, and, you know, on, on the flip side, if you're a team leader or an, or an organization leader, like get curious about what makes your best performers mm-hmm. really great at what they do. Because you, you've already got examples, right, of, okay, they've, they've figured out how to sell your product, right? And, and maybe they're doing something better that means they're more productive or they're more effective in the time that they're doing. And so get curious. Try to understand what is it that they're doing differently. And then figure out how do you scale that across your team, right? How do you make that so everyone benefits from what they've learned? And, and like, do that in a way that doesn't burden poor Cheryl, whomever that person is, right? Like take that off of Cheryl. Say like, Cheryl, wow, you're, you're a really great salesperson. Like this is wonderful. I'm not going to make you spend all your time explaining other people, but I'm going to try to understand like what it is that you're doing. And then now I'm going to find ways to, to drive that across everyone. And again, ideally you do that in a, a scalable media way. Absolutely. It's, it's funny how there are some people who've built their identity on being a Cheryl. And I think that's where it can be, they may perceive it as a threat. You know, if you're in an organization and everybody has to go to you to give them certain information to solve problems, you have a whole lot of job security (laughs) and you may have made yourself kind of irreplaceable. And so I think another thing you can do as a leader, if you've got somebody on your team who's, who's kind of functioning in that way, it's kind of up to you to help them discover what else they could be doing, what else they could find joy in. Maybe they do enjoy 
um, helping people and they could have some sort of a mentoring role in the onboarding process, because you're still going to need to have sometimes where, where people need to mentor, they need to sit with somebody, they need to observe, of course. you know, what somebody's doing, give them coaching. And um, you can, you can scratch that itch in other ways that aren't such a threat to the organization, let's say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're the story is like, okay, Cheryl, that's, that's great that like you love to help people. Let's find a way that you can have even greater impact, right? Rather than spending yeah. all of your time teaching people like one-on-one, let's figure out again, the, the most basic stuff of what you know how to do. Let's automate that capture, share that across everyone. And now you can spend your time, you know, on mentoring, which is quite different than just the knowledge of, Hey, how do I generate this quarterly report? Right now it's how do I become excellent at what it is, you know, what it is that I'm doing. Um, which does require a human. It is something that's unique to, you know, Cheryl or that, or that person. And so I I think it's a reframing, right. And that's like really incumbent, obviously for the person, but, but, you know, leadership as well to say like the thing that we value is you not, not like just the knowledge that's in your head, but how you're able to make impact out of that. And so we're here to say, how do you, how do we help you make more impact out of what you already know how to do? Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's not the information in your head. It's even the way you're able to take, make connections because you have all mm-hmm. of that and, and the leaps that you can take. And you don't have time to do even that high level thinking if you're constantly just reviewing how to do the step-by-step low level things that you know how to do. So, yeah, exactly. Um, all right. I'm looking at the clock and realizing that we probably need to start winding down. So a question I always like to ask our guests is what trends are you keeping your eye on um, for the future? Whether it's, it's you know, challenges that you're seeing leaders face and trying to figure out a solution or just something else you're, you're kind of keeping an eye on. I think a lot about this idea of, of collaboration overload and just the, the way that we work. I think the last couple of years has been probably nearly seismic shift in, mm-hmm. in the way that we work. I think it, it actually can't be overstated where we've, we've now shifted from being together in person nine to five. I, you know, you, I evaluate you based on what I observe you do in an office to now we're all distributed. People might be working, you know, at different times and, and hopefully like we are moving much more now to evaluating people based on their contributions and, and the output of what we're seeing. Um, and that has all kinds of implications for everything from the kinds of talent that you hire to your strategy for, you know, retaining and developing that talent over time to the the technology that you choose to use to frankly, even the the sort of like, you know, implicit agreement between employee and employer and what it means to show up for work. Uh, I think, you know, employees now, like rightfully so, are becoming much more demanding and saying like, I want, I want the right tools to be able to do my job. Like it's on you to empower me with what it is that I need. Um, and, and here's what I'm, I'm trying to achieve and here's how you can measure my output. And so I think employers are now still really struggling to, to sort of meet that in the right place and to have their tech stack evolve to meet that as well. I think we've seen a lot of it over the last couple of years that these things really take time. And, and I don't think we're ever going back to the way that we were working before, which I think is a great thing for everyone, but it means we've still got some digesting to do as we figure out exactly (laughs) like, what does that mean in a new world? I even take sales, for example, right? I mean, at the beginning of the pandemic, no one was flying around doing steak dinners anymore. And we all said, ah, well, 
you know, uh, it'll come back in a few months when we're all able to get back on a plane, mm-hmm. right? Six weeks. And, Remember when it was yeah. six weeks? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I don't think we're ever going back to that world. We, we will in some levels of sales, right? But now it's much more, you know, I, I can't tell you last week alone, I had probably three or four customers say to me, like, I no longer even talk to a company if they won't give me a free trial of their product first. Mm-hmm. I want to lead with the product and understanding how it works. Like that's a very different customer expectation. That's a very different sales motion, right? And um, I think that's just one small example of so many ways that that things have changed. So I think we're still going through the process of, of digesting this almost like future of work and future of collaboration and, and way of working together, which extends to the way that we sell. Absolutely. That's so incredibly important. And I think uh, the only useful analogy that I can think of that maybe caused this much of a shift. And it wasn't to the whole market, but it was to online selling and to shipments is the idea Mm -hmm. of like Amazon Prime, where I can get something in two days, sometimes in one day, sometimes same day. And then you go to another website and they're like, that'll be three weeks. (laughs) And when expectations change, because whether it's, you know, one big you know, mover in the market or a global pandemic or anything else, it's that that can happen. And to um, to you think of how long it's still taking to shake out exactly what the what the impacts of that are. Um, It's as you said, it's it's never going to go back. It's going to turn into something else and trying to stay on top of, of what it's turning into. But certainly, as you said, I think it's a good thing that employees are more empowered to ask for what they need and to expect that from, from their leaders. Um, and, and that's a different skill set of leaders sometimes mm-hmm. that they haven't had to necessarily think about and stay on top of before. You know, they were doing a lot of um, one-on-one time and, and coaching and observing. And now we're saying, okay, you need to monitor what's going on with technology so that you can provide the best tools for your team. But guess what? That's what they need from you. And um, it, it should be hopefully a good area of growth for leaders where, again, you're adding more value. You're doing something that takes a person to do and takes the the skill and the experience that you have. So it can hopefully be seen by people as an opportunity as opposed to, um, you know, a grudge, uh, you know, something that they do begrudgingly. This is, this is the, the startup person in me, but anytime there's a shift in the market for any reason, any kind of change in, in customer expectations or, or user expectations, that's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Anytime there's a shift, that's an opportunity. So if you're an employer, like this is an opportunity for you to offer an even more compelling talent value proposition, right? Absolutely. If you are a seller, this is an opportunity for you to now meet customers where they are in a different and better way than the traditional way. Um, and so it's, re- it's really just a mindset framing, but I-, I would encourage everyone. It's very liberating when you do this. Anytime you see change happening, view that change as an opportunity because it means there's going to be a gap. Absolutely. The status quo doesn't work. Someone's going to have to rush in and fill it. Will that someone be you? Yep. And do you want to be the person who was great at the old way of doing things? (laughs) Or do you want to be the person who's solving the current problems right now? And that's... um, that's not a great feeling of being the person, you know, you don't want to be the dinosaur who was really, really great at how things used to be. Right. 
All right. Um, something that I also like to ask our guests is, do you have any resources that you would recommend for our listeners? These can be resources that you found helpful over the course of your career um, or just, you know, something that you're reading or listening to or watching right now. Um, so if, if folks for kind of more tactical, um, you know, sales related stuff or really just kind of double clicking on on suggestions based on what we've talked about, we've got a we've we've invested a lot in um in our website. Um, we've got a, a bunch of resources and articles on how to think about productivity in a, a sales capacity, like how to better engage customers, tips for onboarding new new AEs, et cetera. So folks are, are welcome to view that. It's on our website, scribehow.com. It's under the the resources section. Um, a book that I read a while ago that I reread more recently, um, that I think might be interesting to this audience is, um, maybe one you've already read. It's, it's called Don't Split the Difference. It's written by a guy, I believe his name's Chris Voss. He used to be an FBI hostage negotiator. Um, and he wrote a book on negotiation and it's just got a, a whole bunch of, um, I think both helpful framing and then, and then really great kind of tactical tips and tricks that are, are backed up by good examples and, and good data on, um, on, you know, what it means to negotiate. And I think a, a good reminder coming out of that is, is like so much about a negotiation is getting to the nose. Mm-hmm. I think we, we think a lot about how do we get, especially sellers, how do I get someone to yes, right? But there's like a whole bunch of steps that come in between. And so how do you get to a no, and that's still a win, where you understand, okay, this buyer is not interested in this, right? These are sort of the parameters. I now better understand what it is they're solving for. And so much of a negotiation and really a selling process is a process of understanding, right? It's understanding where's this person coming from? What are their constraints? What pressure are they under? What problems are they trying to solve? And and what what can they accept and what won't they accept? And having sort of empathy and and recognizing like their their emotions along the way and and mirroring those when appropriate. So um, I recommend it for for anyone who's in I mean really just life, right? Because we negotiate all day, every day, whether you realize you're doing it or not. And in sales, you you know negotiate for a living. Absolutely. I, I think that might be one of our top most recommended books, but I love oh, it no. every time somebody recommends it because there's <laughs> somebody listening who's been, you know, on the fence and hasn't picked it up, hasn't listened to it, read it, um, no matter how many times it's been mentioned. And, you know, the, the weight at some point is going to overwhelm you and you will read this book because it is so good. And it's um, it's written in such a way and it's um, it's just very easy to apply and to understand. And I think that's something that um, for, for those of us who like to like to know a bit of the why behind things, but also just want to step-by-step, hey, here, here are some things you can do. It, it's got a good mix of that, which is, which is really nice. So, okay. I'll give one more recommendation, well, which I am going to bet no one has ever recommended. You tell me if so, but I would be very surprised. An author called Wallace Waddles, uh, who wrote at the turn of the last century, um, so a while ago now, um, and he um, wrote a lot about the power of visioning before we ever talked about the power of visioning. Um, and so it's, it's, it's like it's 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 self-help, but before self-help was actually a category. So he takes a very kind of like matter of fact approach to it. Um but I, I think it's really helpful. Like I, I spend a lot of time visioning and thinking about like, what's the reality I'm trying to create? Like, what will that look like? What will that feel like? And less of a focus on the, the how do we get there, but more of a like what and why. And you let the how follow. Um, 
I and love I think that, that. That can be a helpful mindset for, um, especially when you're doing sales, which, you know, it's a hard grind every day. Absolutely. And I love the mix of the two resources that you did recommend. There, because, there you um, go. That's everybody, everybody has a, has useful perspective. And I haven't heard of that one before. And that's a, you said Wallace Waddle. Wallace Waddle. Yeah. Okay. That's a fun name. All right. Um, well, Jennifer, you mentioned it before about your website, but um, if listeners want to learn more about you and your work, where can they find you? You can always find me on LinkedIn. I'm Jennifer Smith. Our our um, our website's scribehow.com, scribehow.com. Our, our product is free. Um, it takes, on average, four minutes from the moment you land on our site to the moment that you are done creating your first step-by-step guide that you can share with other people. So just designed to be really, really fast and easy. Um and uh, I encourage everyone to, you know, anytime someone asks you, a customer asks you, hey, how do I do this thing? Or, you know, your your salesperson says, hey, can you show me how I do this thing in Salesforce? Just record yourself doing it. Shoot them the the automatic scribe that comes out. If um, if folks want to uh, try out our, our paid upgrade product, um, we have a promo code for listeners here. You can use Let's Talk Sales. Um, that should be easy enough for everyone to remember. <laughs> When you check out, um, but I, I encourage everyone again. We've we've got a pretty generous free product. Um, we don't limit the number of scribes you can create. So, um, uh, you know, please use it to save yourself time. Please do not spend. Gosh, it would break my heart if you spent time <laughs> writing out a guide or jumping on a Zoom with someone when you could save yourself that time. Uh, and I, I have to second that. And I will say, even perfectionist me. It really did only take about 10 minutes as I redid something four times just to make it absolutely perfect. But um, again, perfectionist. So a normal person can do it in four minutes, I'm sure. You're you're on the extreme. We see some people blitz through in 45 seconds. So it depends on your your level of fastidiousness, I guess. Yes. There there is a part of me that wishes that could be me and it just will not ever be me. But, you know, sometimes you need perfectionism as well. All right. Thank you so, so much for speaking with me today, Jennifer. I have so appreciated our conversation. I have a feeling we could have stayed on the phone much, much longer, but I really appreciate your time. Appreciate it. This was a ton of fun. Thanks for having me. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into the show today. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod three, five, eight. If you enjoyed the show, please recommend us to a friend. That's the best way to help more people discover it. If you haven't subscribed, you can do that on whatever platform you're listening right now. That way you get every new episode as soon as it goes up. We love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts or your platform of choice. Or if you have any feedback that you want to provide us directly, if you have questions, suggested topics we should cover, guests we should talk to, feel free to email podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ryland Sylvester. Happy selling!